I'm Vinny. And I'm Drake. And welcome to Backstage Biddies, a podcast where two theater nerds discuss our love, and sometimes hate, of movie musicals. From Golden Age, to Disney, to Contemporary, we'll recap and review all things movie musical. Join us as we scrutinize Hollywood casting, dive into the history of all your faves, and gossip about controversies of the stage and screen. Press play and sing along, because this this is Backstage Biddies. We're back into the fray. The clown wigs are a flying. <laughs> We're back in for part two, the exciting conclusion to our unraveling of the greatest showman. Dun, 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 dun. So we don't have like anything to tell you guys new about this because we did the whole like history of the show or whatever. So we figured we might uh, discuss some Broadway news. Sure. Did you hear about the the casting? Hullabaloo over at Funny Girl? Yeah, the fact that Leah Michelle can't read. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's the clickbait of it all. So I'm not, like, as deep into, like, Broadway talk or something that you might be, but I've, I've definitely seen some videos, some videos of it all. That poor Beanie Feldstein left early. Garbage. Although I did see Garbage that, like... Garbage trash. So long, unless she herself wanted to leave because, like, she's got a... Uh, a better project or, or No, something. I think she was just unhappy with the way that she was marketed. That's valid. Because audiences generally speaking have this desire when a when a revival goes up to go and see like the original production but just again with new people, which mm. is not the point of reviving anything on Broadway. Like if it, no. if you were going to revive something, it should have like a new fresh take. You should be doing it in a new way. If you wanted to see the old production, like, go watch the old production. Like, everyone was like, Beanie Feldstein doesn't sound like Barbara Streisand. Well, no shit. Right. Like, and like, Barbara's in the movie, you guys. If you want to see Barbara Streisand do Fanny Bryce, go watch the movie. What are you talking about? That's infuriating. But I think she, I think, uh, I think Beanie was probably just unhappy with the way that she was marketed as like some kind of bright new star like she really leaned into the the comedy of the character and like didn't have necessarily as big and brassy of a voice as Barbara Streisand which doesn't mean she did anything wrong it was just different and people didn't like it boo but i think uh i i had i had seen that beanie left early and like she made the announcement herself oh and she did it of her own accord because she found out that they were going to make the Leah Michelle announcement and announce her leaving early, like, on the same day. Like, without telling her. My mouth is agape, folks. So then she was like, oh, you're just gonna, you're just gonna, like, walk me out of the show early, out of my contract? And she was like, it was essentially like a you can't fire me, I quit moment. Oh, fuck yeah, get bent. Absolutely. That's what I say. Absolutely. Good job, Beanie. Because she left because of, because she didn't, uh, well, well, how did they phrase it? It was like she didn't, she left because the show was going in a different direction or because of like creative differences, essentially. They phrased it somehow in the press release. I don't, I, I'm Some coming up blank. Some stupid PR but, spin. Yeah, it was a PR yeah. spin. But, but yeah, so Leah Michelle's taking over, um, which is like relatively problematic. A choice. And not just because 
she like can't read or whatever. That's like a no, funny haha conspiracy that's, theory. Yeah, that, that's like, a funny haha. Can Leah Michelle read? Like almost certainly, you guys. Like, don't well, be dumb. Just because yeah. no one's ever seen her read, no one's ever seen her in Batman in the same room either. Like, that one's a funny haha. But like, also Leah Michelle has some pretty serious accusations of like misbehavior on set and like abuse, particularly to like her black coworkers. Racism. Right. Which she, I mean, people are allowed to grow and change, and I, I absolutely believe that. And I, believe I in, hope to God she did. I but... believe in holding space for that, but I also believe that you have to, you have to apologize in word and action. So, like, maybe you spoke to people or like have stopped behaving that way, but the people that you hurt have very publicly said like she never apologized to me. We never made this right. So you need to go back and do that, and then you need to make reparations. Like you have a platform, you have money. You need to make reparations and do something about it. You have to show people. You have to behave outwardly, publicly, like you've changed. Right. And I think another important thing, too, is... Because we looked this up just before we hit record. Because we didn't know. I know that there's been talk about there being issue that she's also not Jewish. Right. Because Fanny Bryce should be played by a Jewish actress it, always. It needs to be. And, and that's not just coming from this random gal i've heard a lot of jewish people on on tiktok specifically talking about the importance of that person being jewish because otherwise they are performing as a caricature of a jewish person right which is not cute there's a lot of like what they what like people that i saw talking about it that like have a place to talk from about it saying that they're playing into stereotypes and like the the Jewish mother trope and and all of those kinds of things. And when you have someone in that role that's not connected to that, it's inappropriate. Well, it's no different from the issue we took with like Barry in the prom. Yep. What on earth do you suppose that you bring to that experience if you don't have Jewish experiences? Like what are you going to bring to this character? That a Jewish person couldn't more authentically. And now I will say that we looked it up. Her dad is the one who was Jewish. Yes, her dad is Jewish, but she was raised Catholic with her mother. Right. And also from what I gather, Judaism is like a matriarchal. A matrilineal. Religion and, and culture typically. So, because I've, I've heard... Like Jewish people say in in random funny videos and stuff. Oh, your your mom's not Jewish, then you're not Jewish. Like as like a you know, and I obviously don't know what the cultural importance or different things like that are because yeah, I am not Jewish. But there are plenty of people on the TikTok that you can find. Right, and it's not really our place to question like if that's how Jewish people track their their Judaism, then that's how that is, and it's, that's not our community and our rule to dictate. So like, right. So, that's just a rule that so I that's how it is. Her dad's Jewish. So this is inappropriate. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to work out. Obviously she was cast because she sings the crap out of the role, but a good singer does not a good performance make. Exactly. Like you have to, you have to live this character. She's an explicitly Jewish character. So shouldn't this be played and given to a Jewish actress? Rachel Bloom was right there, guys. I'm just saying Miss Ma'am. And she sings the pants off most things, so I'm unsure what we're actually doing here. Yeah. And the the girl the the actress stepping in for 
uh, Fanny's mom is the actress who played Rachel Bloom's mom on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Oh. Right. So, like, she, Come I mean, she on. was right there. Like, did anybody call Rachel Bloom? Maybe they anybody, did. Maybe anybody. she wasn't available, but, like, God, I, I hope. But, I mean, what harder? is she up to? She's probably writing right now because she's a brilliant writer. And, I, phenomenal. And I hope she's, I hope that's the case, that someone called Rachel Bloom and was like, hey. And she's like, hey, so sorry, I can't. Because I would think you be she willing recently to come had this? a kid, too. Oh, is she a mom now? She's a mom now. I oh, do know she's honor. a mom now. I think it's fairly recent, so maybe that's why she couldn't commit oh. to like a Broadway schedule because that's I, a lot. I mean, I hope that's the case because it's just really but is disappointing. It Michelle, mom? Am I lying about that? I, I don't think Leah Michelle has kids. I hope Leah Michelle doesn't have I, kids. <laughs> I have no, I have no idea. I don't know anything about that. Um, well, speaking... I my hope for for that little debacle. Is that first of all that Leah Michelle will take the time to make public amends and to have conversations with those people, and to apologize and to try and make things better, and do the right thing. I don't think that will happen. Do better, be better. Because she obviously has good rapport with like other people, right? Like her public relationship with Jonathan Groff. Very, very well known. Who is like Broadway's sweetheart? Everybody loves a good Graf sauce. So, like, what up? Right. Is she a bad person or nah? I think she has the potential to be a good person in her. I just hope that she publicly makes the, de- the decision to do something about it and not just, like, stop doing bad things. Like, you have to go back and fix the other stuff because they happened really publicly, babe. <laughs> So that's my hope. Um, in other fun Jewish news, the Yiddish production of Fiddler on the Roof is coming back to Broadway this fall. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Very exciting. It's a super cool production. I remember seeing um, clips from it. I think I've actually even seen part of a bootleg of it. Oh, I have because it's the it's the clip with Jessica Vosk before she was Alphaba. Oh, yes. She's my favorite Alphaba. It's, I, Ooh, I such, love her. I'm very excited for that revival. Speaking of revivals, I have a question for you. Yeah. What musical do you want to see be revived? Mame. That's my answer too. I, I think it should be Mame. I think it should be either Donna Murphy or Bernadette Peters in the role. And we should just full send it. If you guys haven't seen it. Mame is delightful. Oh gosh, you gotta. It's straight up, it probably is, like, my favorite movie musical. It's good. Like, of all time. It's a darn good one. And it's it's very, like, it's very anti-racist, which I think would be, like, a really great thing on Broadway right now. And the thing, too, is is that it's very pro-woman. Yes. Pro, like, wherever you're at in your life. And... could it could it do better in some spots? Yes, absolutely. But that's what revivals are for. But and that's exactly it, which right. is why I think I think we're due. I think we're due. I think this is the time. This is the place. Let's do it. My only hesitation would be that it feels like right now we should be platforming musicals that embrace like characters of color and those narratives. But and Mame Mame is like could... a pretty straightforward like white people show. It is. From a white perspective and with, with white actors. So that's like the only thing that makes me hesitant about it. But maybe there's some but... kind of rewrite that could happen for it. I mean, I would love that. I, who knows? Who knows? I would love that. 
Who knows? Oh my god, a black mame. Audra McDonald as mame. I would shit my pants. Why don't you go ahead and end me? Audra McDonald as anything ever. I would just... Audra McDonald is my mom. You can have that one. Thank I will, you. I, will, I won't fight you on that one. Oh, God, um, that woman. It would it would absolutely win her her seventh Tony, and I think that that would just be great. Oh, my God. Seven, my lucky number, Mame, my favorite <laughs> musical, Audra McDonald, my mom. I mean, it checks a lot I'm of boxes. I'm just saying, the stars are aligning. That would be great. I would love that. Because there's that really weird antebellum South thing that happens. Yeah, when she visits, um, what's his name? Beauregard something something Pickett Burnside. Beauregard Jackson Pickett Burnside. Yeah, and she goes and like meets his mom or whatever. Yeah. And she's and a she's, total... And she squawks out, and the South will rise again! Which is horrific. But I they I wonder if they uh, could could do some sort of something. I'm for it. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a writer. I'm not good with that. Where's Michael Arden? Michael Arden's mame. Michael Arden's the guy who did the, the Deaf West Spring Awakening. All right, call him. Call I think him he up. also did the most recent Once on This Island, too, with Alex Newell and Haley Kilgore. Oh, oh. I'm yeah, acting. I mean, he, do, um, <laughs> he does really incredible revivals, and I think he's the only director that I trust with a revival. I mean... <laughs> Who's in charge of the uh, the Music Man revival currently? But is he white? Michael Arden? Yeah. Yeah, he is. All right. Well, let's get some other homies on this project. I agree. I agree. Let's but, get some other homies on that project. But I think he could also... He could be a guiding hand or right. some well, he did, suggestion. He did Once on This Island, right? Which is a black narrative. And he right. pulled together like a really strong uh, creative team on that one. Exactly. So like, let's, so maybe let's he lean could, in with uh, that. Right. At the very least, he could put the team together and then, you know... Pitch the idea, put the team together, and then relinquish it. <laughs> also, um, you folks out there playing at home, tweet at us, uh, send us a message or something on what you would want to see be the next revival. Yeah, what should what should be on Broadway next year? Like, what's the next big revival? Oh, I don't know. Is anything know. announced? No. Anything new? There's a couple of, like I said, there's that revival of, of the Yiddish... Fiddler. Fiddler. Yeah. I, I don't think there have been any other revivals announced yet. There are a couple of things looking at moving into theaters coming up. There's like 40 empty theaters on Broadway right now. Can we have one? Yeah. Oh my God. Sign me up. What are we going to do first? We're reviving Come From Away. Oh, that was such an easy answer. I don't even think they've closed <laughs> yet, but we're reviving it. Um. No, we'll take it to do this show. To do this show? Yeah. You want to put the biddies on Broadway? Yeah. I don't think we're ready for that. No, we're not. But you know, if you it's guys, empty, what are you doing? You guys don't hear all the ums and likes and pauses in between shit. We'd have to rehearse so hard. Well, we'd have to rehearse. But the thing the thing also is that if you get a mic in front of us and an audience, we'll just ramble till the cows come home. We will. There'll be definite moments of entertainment. <laughs> sure. Some we can things call them that, that they're like, what the fuck is that? But hopefully the last will... Balance it out. I think it'd be fun to get like another Disney revival. Give us a show on Broadway. Oh, you know what should? You know what? It it never played Broadway, so it wouldn't be a revival. But you know what needs to be like remounted and set on Broadway? Me. Oh my (laughs) God. What? You want someone to mount you on Broadway? What is this? Equus? Get it together. Listen. Someone should put Hunchback of Notre Dame on Broadway. Ooh. It deserved it. 
Hunchback is the Disney show that deserves the hype. With, I think, maybe the exception of Lion King. I think Lion King deserves the hype that it gets. Oh, God. That freaking... I mean, the design alone on that show. I know. It just... Oh, oh bonkers. Oh, don't get me started. Don't get me started. Bonkers. But I think Hunchback... Hunchback didn't get nearly the the praise that it deserved. It's such a good show. You know, I don't even remember the last time I watched that. I watched it when I was a kid, and I really did not like it. Because it's very scary. It's scary. And I don't do, like, when I was a kid, I would stop movies before the scary. Uh-huh. That movie starts with the scary. I was going to say, you can't get around it because it's terrifying from the get-go. Yeah, No. But the Broadway production is so beautiful, and so to hear that—that's to dick. Uh, that's true. To hear that score though, with like live vocalists, in well, front that's of you what at I'm saying. Face, like it's insane. I'd be willing to go see that just because, just oh, oh. Yeah, let's um, let's get it up back up on Broadway. Not that I don't think other Disney shows are good because they are. Oh yeah. But like, I don't know. I think Aladdin's overhyped. I think Beauty and the Beast was overhyped. They're good shows, but like shake. My ribcage with your vibrato. Oh my god, speaking of vibrato, switching tracks here. Last week's episode of Drag Race, (gasps) where Monet Exchange came out and finally used her opera training. Guys, I fainted. If you... Oh, it was so good. If you guys are not Drag Race fans, or if you're not watching... Listen, I haven't watched this season. I just happened to be over at Drake's house... We were decompressing after a long week, and he's like, this show's on. I have to watch it. You're here. You have to watch it because you're here. And so they were I'm doing, like, okay, fine. They were doing a talent show. Just look up Monet Exchange's opera performance. I mean, I, it was so good. She released it as, as a single already. She did? Yeah, so you can listen to it anytime. Listen, money. Are we serious? Money exchange. Yes, I know. <laughs> Monet exchange. Because truly, so she, because she had gone to school for opera. She got her big degree. She was doing all of that. And then she found drag. And then just happened to like casually, you know, go on drag race and And win. totally like mop competition up. And then she's been on All Stars all winter season and yeah yeah just... yeah it was a good redemption because during the i want to say it was the talent show for the first season of all stars that she was on the one that she won her talent show was also her singing but it was really terrible it was in her falsetto it was kind of all over the place sloppy and she knows this because she has said i don't even go back and watch that i can't right because I think it was her trying to fit her voice into, like, a box of what people expected to come out of a drag queen. Which, Miss Ma'am, she dropped that, and my God, do we want more. I know, and it was so good. And people have been like, it wasn't good, she was lip-syncing. Like, no, it was she, live. She nope, sang live. live. I know it's crazy because it sounded really polished and, and good, but that's op- that's what opera training is. I mean, yeah, that's so like, that is training. And I know people, that everybody thinks that it was like a recorded act or whatever, but like I think you're no. just used to drag queens having to polish their vocals, like exactly. And that's no Tino shade. Like I love a good campy polished vocal. Oh god, don't get me wrong. Yeah, but you can't. What came out of that woman's mouth? Oof, oof. And oh, talent. Thorgy has an orchestra. Yeah, the Thorchestra. So I did not know this. Because Thorgy plays some string instrument. I thought that Thorgy played a violin. 
I would believe you. I don't actually know which instrument it is. Okay. Well, anyway, I think that that is a show that can go on the road today. More classical music from drag queens, don't you think? I just, I, I think there needs to be more classical music in the zeitgeist. I agree. Because I think Some of it things... slaps real fucking hard. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it has, when it's done well, it slaps. And there's just so much of it. Yeah. And let's get, that's another way of getting people excited and getting like, and this is something that is near and dear to our hearts because of all the programming and stuff that we've done over the years, but getting kids excited about things like that. Yeah. Seeing really cool performers do really cool shit with classical music. Yeah. I just. Oh, you know what is one of my, this is like, now we're tangenting, but one of my favorite clips to show people when I'm trying to get them interested in like off-off-Broadway stuff or, like, experimental stuff or, like, when I'm trying to get people excited about new musical theater, there's a clip from a show called Dorian's Descent, and it's based on the picture of Dorian Gray, and I want to say it's called, the song is called The Sparrow, I think? I haven't watched it in a while, but it's, it's a video that they shot to accompany, like, their concept album for the show, and the art style and like the design elements are balls to the wall like off kilter kooky crazy but the song is very like classical musical theater like like 11th hour torch song kind of moment it's very very pretty it's very like techno string kind of vibe let's post some links maybe i will i really love that clip and i i've always wanted to see a bigger production of dorian's descent because i thought they had so many good ideas and i love the story of the picture of dorian gray oh i mean well it's it's a lot of fun and it's It's, used in a lot of different kinds of media and things like that too yeah it's super fun and like it's a cool storyline to lift and it's cool to reinterpret it and what does it mean for a public audience today to see this narcissist sabotage his own life even though he had everything he ever wanted but he like just couldn't be couldn't be satisfied he couldn't be stopped he couldn't be fully fed forever is, the consumer is that an antagonist that resonates with people right now like is that a villain that resonates with people right now i don't know I think there's a lot to latch onto there, and I, I again, I, I adore this little production, and it was in like some little playhouse in, in in California. Great show. We'll try and post some links. Let's post some links about that, and let's post Monet because I, you guys have, you have, you to. have to see you it. Have I to. mean, we won't ugh. even make you search for it. No, we'll just spoon feed it to you. I know for a fact you guys are going to listen at the very end of this episode to where you can find all of our socials and email us. And all of those fun things. And you're going to go there because you're dedicated, loyal fans. And you're going to like, and you're going to follow, and you're going to comment. And you're also going to click on these links and watch these things and tell us exactly what you think of them. Because, my God, are they cool. Speaking of the end of the episode, should we get to the start of the episode? Oh my God, is that what we're doing here? <laughs> yeah, we have like I think a, we should. We have a whole thing to get to. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know what, biddies? Let's jump into some circus. Everybody shut up. Nobody move. Keela Settle is singing. Everybody just shut up. Shut up and sit down. Keela Settle is singing This Is Me. It's phenomenal. Fuck so powerful. Oh my god. Said this critic. 
literally in my notes. <laughs> it's devastatingly good. I just, just the raw power that comes out of this woman. We were doing show choir, at the, like we were show choir directors at the time. Oh God, and I've seen, I've seen at least half a dozen choirs absolutely butcher this song in the worst way. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on record here as a fat queer woman. Don't make the only fat queer kids sing the solo for I this know, number. it became like the token fat solo. And I gotta tell ya. Oh, I hated it. Could I belt the fuck out of this? Yes. Certainly. Do not cast me because I am fat. No, cast me because I brought something unique to the to the role or sang the solo the best. Like because don't I don't do it because I like was the type. Some very mediocre soloists. Truly. Like mediocre. And like we're working with like the power of Broadway, baby. Like these there's riffing, there's there's a lot here. There's it's a lot a, of heavy belting going on. Like, it's, it's big powerful sh- shit. It's big shoes to fill. It's a big number. And I just... There were one too many times where I saw, like, a chunky gay kid walk out and sing this song. And I get it. It's empowering, and I don't want to take that power away from people because you saw, you saw someone powerful and fat come out and do this. And I don't want to take that away from you. However... The equality side of that coin is that you don't get things just because you were fat. You should get it because you were the best. Well, and, and the thing... And there, there's a bit of equity involved in that, that, like, the scale's tilted in one direction. So a little bit of it is course correction. Yeah. But... I just... It, it felt very much so, like, the directors were like, yeah, we're just gonna, like... Like I said, I it became know. it became the token fat solo. It became, and I just, I absolutely, I hated it. I yeah. hated it because there were some kids fucking nailed it. Well, there always are. But there were some where I was like, I literally already saw like soloists that could have fit this bill better for this group. Like in this ensemble. Yeah. And you should have, just... you should have shifted people around, but you didn't because... Because this we was wanted like the, this specific image. Right. This was like the powerful, trendy thing to do. Choices from this fat queer. Moving on. Because, again, in this film, absolutely powerful. I just it's bow so, down I mean, to the queen. It's devastating. It's so good. Because also during this number, this is when Barnum slams his door in their face they're like, fuck this, and heading back to the circus, they bust through the room that everybody's in. Yeah, they. I mean, they charge right through this upper crust ballroom full of people, and they're like, I'm here, I'm ugly, you don't want to see me, but I don't give a shit. And they're like, listen, fuck you. Your judgment We're won't keep me down. We're heading back to the circus, I guess. Yeah, the names you, you call me won't keep me down. I'm here, I have a place, and we're going to stand on it. Yeah. They're like, okay. You don't want us to be here? We're not going to walk out a back door or a side door or whatever you think we have to do. We're going to walk out the front door. Have a great night. Yeah. And good for them. And they do that whole dance number, like, in, like and in the, the choreo, town square. I mean, and the choreo they use in this, too, is understated, but still very, very effective. Very effective. And I think the thing, again, and we've talked about this before, I believe it was in Teen Beach, where I said it's it's not just clean choreography, no, it's really tight. It's very sharp. It's tight choreography. It's so, so precise. And even when you have these little things that seem like kind of like 
could be genuinely throwaway choreography. You put energy and emotion behind it and it stands out and it just elevates everything else with it. And those unison moments that they have that are so tight and concrete elevate the moment of individuality when they all bust into, you know, individual poses that tell some kind of story about their character or or about their act. Like, it makes those moments so much more resonant and meaningful because you leaned so hard into the stuff that, like, quote-unquote, didn't matter. Exactly. And I also think it's very interesting, the setup of the street that they have, because on one end is the theater where, like, Jenny Lynn just sang and everything, and directly down the street, like, they're door-to-door looking at each other is the circus. Two sides of the same coin. It's a very uptown-downtown dichotomy of... Of performers, of of everything they were doing. Then from here we see that Barnum is leaving. He's taking Jenny Lind... Like, leaving the country. Yeah. (laughs) Like, leaving... Well, because they're going to travel the country and then also go... Like, they're going to He's dipping. He's getting out of town. Because he's like, yeah, no, I took out another mortgage on my home. I know it's going to be so much money and it's going to be worth the risk because of how much money we're going to make off of it and the notoriety we'll get from it. And he's like, Carlisle, you're going to stay here and run the circus. Best of luck, toodles. Carlisle is pissed. He should be. And all and the the people, the circus people who do the acts are like, not shocking. He hasn't been here in months. Carlisle, I don't know why you're giving this so much energy because right, like we have like a not, we're busy. Yeah. We don't really have time to worry about whatever dream he set his brain to this week. Like we're busy. Exactly. And then Letty is like, don't you have somewhere you have to be? And then Carlisle rushes off and he gets to the theater. We see Anne standing there asking for a ticket she's to at the, the theater. Yeah, she's at the will call box. Because she said, Mr. Barnum said that you had a ticket here for me. And she's dressed in, oh, so cute. It's, it's definitely so pretty. It's like, it's her best garb. She's got this beautiful purple shawl she's got on with it too. And she's there for a night at the theater and she's so excited. There's clearly some hand craftsmanship on this dress that is so good yeah and carlisle shows up and is like uh it's actually two tickets under carlisle and then she kind of just like breezes and the thing with zendaya in this role specifically is that she uses pause a lot she uses silence and she uses literally like just the tension in her body to convey so much because she has every right in several places to scream throw things and bitch slap this man right there's also a lot of like when when she's in a room of people of a higher like social class than her there's a lot of like looking at the floor apologizing short clipped sentences it's very like self-belittling behavior but of course it's not coming from her it's coming from it's coming from society she knows better than to meet the eyes of someone with more money than her because they'll beat the shit out of her yeah because she'll be in danger right so carlisle's like nope we are here for a night at the theater and she starts talking to him about how excited she is because she genuinely has always wanted to go to a night at the theater right this is like a big deal for her and it's something that probably before she was a part of this circus act would have never happened. Wasn't even an option. She would have died never having, having had this experience. Exactly. And 
They run into his parents on the steps. And they are just barbaric. Just absolutely abhorrent. I just, they're, they get after him about like, so you left society and you left us and you have your mother worried and all this, that, and the other thing to go run and join that circus. And now you're out with the help. It's venomous. It's seriously, it like, back at the time, they would have said the N-word. Like, that is like, the help was dripping with the amount of venom that that word would have brought. Absolutely. And I just, it, ugh. And she's like, wow, what the fuck? Like, with her body language What an insane assault. And just leaves, and Carlisle gets after his parents the tiniest bit. It's not enough for my liking because he, no, I mean, because he, what does he have to lose? He hasn't been using their money or status or anything for right. a long while now. I mean, it, he shames them in a way and he does say something to them, which is absolutely the right thing to do. But right. But this is the moment where you could have turned to your parents and called them racist. Hashtag never enough. Oh, it's not enough just to say, like, that was a mean thing you did. Like, you have to tell... Or, like, hey, you can't talk to her like that. You can't talk to anybody like that. Because you Especially could've... someone black. You can't. You could have just said, like, don't talk to her like that. And, frankly, don't talk to anyone. Like, there, there could have been an extra added something. But for Carlisle, again, his thing was, this woman is important to me. So she gets my protection. Right. Not everybody who comes from a similar background as her do I care about. So I'm not going to offer that up for them. Right. And it's it's more of a one-on-one person personal thing than it is like a moral thing, which is a choice. Yeah. It also again, they someone should have just said the, the word racism. In a, in a little bit here, we're going to go to a racist place. Like a slur. And it's going to make this really pale in comparison. And it's really frustrating to me that we aren't actively having a discussion on screen. Like, this could be an opportunity to, again, like, lend a sort of social script to this situation. For, like, a wealthy white person in a position of power to talk to other wealthy white people in positions of power and fucking say something to them specifically about their racist behavior. And we just don't. Yeah. And that's, that's a wasted opportunity. Yeah. Or even if you wanted to go as far as like a kid talking to their parent. Right. This could have been that moment and we squander it. Yeah. But... We get rewrite the stars. There's a moment here right away when they're in the ring alone where um, Zendaya is very clearly taller than Zac Efron. Hot. And I was like, wait, hold the phone. Hold, hold everything. Is she taller than him? And so I Googled it. She's 5'11". He's 5'8". I'm taller than Zac Efron? Zendaya is taller than me. That's hot. That's sexy. Oh. She just keeps getting hotter. <laughs> I just don't know what to do. <laughs> it's important to point out, though, because there's the Hollywood kind of standard that the, the in, in ingenue pairings, the dude is always taller. Yeah. Which is garbage. It's a totally fake rule we made up and has 
nothing to do with actual feelings or romance or, or it has everything to do with male power dynamics and the construction of masculinity in America. And that's for another podcast episode. But like, I think it's great that she is taller than him and they actively don't do anything about it to hide it. That they just let them exist on screen and, and she's just taller than him. And that's how it is. Hot. I love that. So she's going to practice her flying through the air. And he's like, no, we can work this out. We can figure this out. Fuck society, this, that, and the other thing, which is kind of funny because before, and I get that growth is a thing that happens, but like before one couple watched you hold her hand and then you like ripped it away. So. And now you think you're going to what? You're going to overthrow systemic racism? No, no, no. No, no, no. That's not what he wants. He just wants to be able to be with her. All right. So he just needs enough money and power to be able to do that for himself. Well, I don't love that. Well. <laughs> anyway, the way she flies through the air. I mean, so now we're, we're, we're getting into Rewrite the Stars. We are in Rewrite the Stars. This just, number is stellar. Beautiful. This is the aerial choreography. Right. This is really excellent use of like circus conventions to be able to tell a circus story within this the confines of this of this musical. This is really really well done. It's stunning. It's practical effects that we're using. It's a it's again like a circus convention. This is their art form. I also love that at one moment she fully is like gripping the rope and she's carrying him. Yeah. At one point, she releases just, him and just kind of, like, skids him across the ground. Yeah, it's just another one of those dynamic things that I'm like, ha like I, like I said, she's so in charge all the time. She's so, like, calm and collected. This number is really great. I literally have this choreo makes me scream. I mean, it does. It's so good. It's so good. It's such a beautiful, touching story, like, in this one song alone. Yeah. And this is one of the only songs where the whole song is just in one moment. Yeah, we don't splice this one at all. We keep this one whole. It's very, I mean, it's meaningful in that way. Yeah. This song always feels to me like, um, it feels like it belongs in in Smash. Yeah, the TV show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It feels like it belongs to to Hit List, the second fake musical they do in season two. And it always felt like a, yeah, it just feels like it belongs in that soundtrack. And it it sounds like a mashup of of, uh, Caught in the Storm and Rewrite This Story from Smash. As it turns out, both of those songs are by Pasek and Paul. <laughs> well, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah. They, it, it sounds like Pasek and Paul music, and it makes me want to wonder how many like how many segments and motifs and things were maybe like lifted from one or both of those songs to put this song together. Oh, maybe. I wonder. I just wonder how much of it was like recycled from other stuff. Yeah. Who knows. But it's definitely got their their fingerprints all over it, so. Exactly. But during this song, it's this beautiful moment of, like, I just, I love you so much, and I want to say fuck society and everything. And Carlisle's like, yes, she's on my side. We're going to do this. And then she's like, I, can't, like, can't do this. My well, hands are tied, and I just, right because I do love you, but we can't do this. I think the sentiment is, I am a black woman. And I understand that you as like a white rich guy think that being in love with me is enough, but it's not like, it's not just that like we have to get over the fact that people are going to stare at us in public. Like if you've never been in danger for your identity, the way that I have, I can't undo that just because I love you. Exactly. The subtext is really rich. And again, because it's a whole uninterrupted story, 
the the rise and fall of the tension feels so much more impactful at the end with yeah. the line that she leaves him on. Really good. Yeah. A plus storytelling, Pasek and Paul. Stunning. Now we're at the Barnum's home. Charity and PT are talking about about his issues and about that weird thing with his daughter and her daughter's his daughter's friends and the girls that she's dancing with and charity's like this is a you problem this is not an us problem and we want you to be around more and we don't want you to leave because you're gonna miss this you're gonna miss your family you're gonna miss your kids growing up that's a problem and he's like no i'm doing this for them i don't understand what you're talking about and he leaves just fucks off just just hops in the carriage with jenny lind off to off on go do fuck shit and his kids are literally running after I know, the they chase the carriage. That's heartbreaking. Rips my heart from my chest. So sad. I just, they're like, no, dad, don't go, don't go. And he just like, I'm like, you didn't even like hug and kiss everybody. And say nah, goodbye. he just peels off. Disgusting. Yeah. Doing this for them, my ass. Then we get Tightrope. I adore this song. Tightrope is it's such a unique take on an I want song because yes. it like, it's got all these motifs and like, like the lyricism is very like circus centric, mm-hmm. but it's still like a really powerful driven I want song. And it's so beautifully written. And again, like just, it's such a, every Broadway musical has an I want song and they're all a dime a dozen. You've heard one, you've heard them all, but this one is so specific and unique it's really good. And the imagery that they decide to use in this too. So like with oh. the, uh, <laughs> with charity, with the kids like sitting at dinner and you can see them having so much fun, but then the camera like pans out and you see the, to empty, the empty chair. chair. And oh. then you see like the eldest dancing and they're at a, at a, at recital, a recital and they're clapping and they're cheering for her. And she's so excited. And you see her like smile is so big and she's Oof. elated. And you light see her eyes. Shout out to that child actress, oh, by the, the way, face for, not, for not overacting this. No, that's it's, something easy oh, to do. It's so she good. She literally just like pops her eyes in a couple places and then realizes that her dad's not there and her face falls a little bit, but not all the way. And it just It's like a I mean, the face journey she goes on as she like looks for her dad, it's like a full forty five seconds. It's really good. It's so good. So good. Yeah. During this number two, we see that people in the audience of the circus are now booing the performers. They're also getting deflated. They're starting to lose ground. Yeah. Like, Like this was built off of Barnum facing people and going, nah, 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 nah. I'm going to do this anyway. Right. It's and now his, you don't even have him there to do that. It's his perverse ability to spin negativity Yep. Into something he can sell. Which is exactly that whole, like, the critics came out and called him and his show a circus, and he named it a circus. Right, the they started printing they bad reviews. He said, if you bring the review in, you get, you know, certain whatever it is off your ticket. Like, he, he spins it constantly. Right, and you don't have that anymore. You don't have that weird safety net thing that he yeah. can provide. And you're just kind of left high and dry, and all of the people that were protesting and things like that before are now physically in the building. Right. It's escalating. Exactly. Then we flash back again 
to charity. Because we're still in the song. We're still in the same <laughs> song. And it's just, again, it's one of those, like... The songs do all of the storytelling. They lift. They do all the heavy lifting. Yes. We see charity dancing. Oh, this is the, in the, the, the backlit this, windows. The several, there's, like... A whole line of windows. It's a hallway all, with all of these big portrait windows. Exactly. They're all it's backlit, so you just see the silhouettes of people. Right. So you can see her dancing her way down this hallway, and she starts dancing with like the shadow silhouette of Barnum. And they're dancing down this hallway, and they're dancing in one window, and then they move down the hallway, they're dancing in another window, they move down the hallway, they're dancing in a third window, and then this like sheer curtain that frames each window picks up wind and blows up and covers Barnum's silhouette and then falls back down and he's gone. Yeah, it it like it almost like sweeps away his shadow and it just oh, like he was he was there for her filling her her heart and everything and then just a, just a breeze comes by and takes him. Oh, it's so good. It's so Oh, good. <laughs> I it's... love that moment. Then we see Bar so like that song wraps. Then we see that Jenny's getting really great reviews. Her and Barnum are in a very relaxed position on this couch about to drink champagne and cheers for all of this. Oh my gosh. I want to take a real quick minute and just discuss and compliment the absolutely decadent, lavish interior shots of this film. Oh my crap. So some of them are obviously meant to be very grandiose. The shots of Jenny Lind on stage, the performers in the ring, like those wide shots are very intentionally like flashy and full of exciting things to look at. But there are shots like the interior of their house, this particular shot where we, where we meet Barnum and Jenny Lind. It's the interior of this, what I assume is her dressing room, but it's this enormous room or whatever house they have her up in for. Yeah. I mean, wherever they're staying, whatever, whatever this is, but it's got like this big grand fireplace and like, it's like this huge gold and black, like Rococo style room. It's just huge. I mean, it's enormous. (laughs) This room is massive. It has like a whole grand piano in one, one corner, like not even like taking up a chunk of the room. Like, and it's got a, it's got a nice little like seating area with two couches facing each other right in front of the fireplace. And that's where this conversation takes place between Barnum and Jenny Lind. But like all of the imagery is so stunning, but something we don't often get in movie musicals is that kind of that really detailed, lavish interior design moment. Mm -hmm. And we get a couple of them in this movie. And I just want to take a moment to compliment them. They're very, very pretty. And it just, it lends even more to the aesthetic with the clothing and everything. Right, It always stays balanced with like, and we're using really bright, flashy colors here, but the palette is always balanced. Even when we have the whole cast of characters like doing their, their performance and their sideshow, like it's always balanced, even against these huge rooms. There's like a pretty purple moment that Barnum's doing in this like big gold splashy room. Everyone's always balanced. Everyone is always precise. It's very good. It's very tasteful. They're going to cheers the great reviews and all that and how wonderful it is. Yeah. The tour is a success. A success. They're doing great. And she is like looking at his mouth. Which is like a, I want to kiss you. Are we going to kiss? Are we going to kiss about it? We should kiss about it. What if we kiss about it? <laughs> I can't help but notice that we're doing really well. Would you like to make maybe out? bang about it? Yeah, like at least make out about it. <laughs> Bare minimum. And he's like fully into it for a second and then pulls back. He's like, no. Oh. Oh. And he has like this whole thing of like 
the way that he pulls away and like blinks his eyes rapidly and shit is like he was under her bewitching spell and how dare she he's a married man and right he just got abs- caught up in the fantasy and it was absolutely fuck you barnum and the way that this lady was painted in this movie it's really awful because i think the subtext here is that jenny lind went on tour with him because he was leading her on right like she was under the impression that he was unhappy in some way or that he wanted this in some way and i don't think that I think we're meant to perceive that that idea didn't come from her, but was an idea given to her in order to sway her to do this. Because again, when she meets him, she's not about it. She's like, I, I know your name. No. I know your reputation. I'm not interested. But he charms her. He woos her. And right. Then... And I think that char- I think that interaction is meant to be indicative of he continues to charm her. Well, because and she there's... goes along with this because he makes her think that they could fall in love because right. of it. And there's this moment too where you see after her first performance, after Barnum gets into that fight with Charity's parents and she completely deflects the argument and gets people's eyes back on good things and not talking about it. And she's like, oh, to, to Barnum, blah, 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 whatever. And like busts out the champagne and does this whole thing to... To put him back in good light amongst right. this really ritzy crowd. She knows how exactly. to do that. Exactly. And then she comes up to him and is like, I don't tell people this. I know how you feel coming from the whole, like, you're Taylor's son. Right. Well, I was born out of wedlock. and So um, I had to do this social climb thing too. It's this moment of vulnerability because she doesn't tell people that. No, but now he knows her secret. So now they share something, something intimate. Exactly. And it's... I think all of those them, all yeah. of those little moments of of them together I think culminate in this moment where we're meant to think that she has been wooed essentially into a tour and now she realizes that like oh you wanted me because I made you money because you could sell me not because you cared about me or you thought I was special mm-hmm. Now the truth of the matter is that Jenny Lind and P.T. Barnum very likely did have an actual affair on tour. In real life. In real life. So the sympathetic spin that she gets, I think, is maybe not entirely fair. Do I think that we should be painting women in that light? No, probably not. And for the sake of this story, I think it was probably a good choice. But the reality of the situation is that Jenny Lind was not some, like, innocent, precious, wispy songbird. She was culpable in this. And potentially ruined a marriage. But I think a a part of this too, we need to look at the way society was. And it's possible that, and I'm not saying that this is the way it was, but her reputation was more on the line than anything. Well, yeah, because if, if it had been revealed that they were having an affair in like a, in a, in a public way like that, like she would have taken, she would have taken the blow. Right. And I think too, the fact that like, People couldn't get divorced at the time. Women literally couldn't have bank accounts and right, like weren't allowed to own property or like have that. their own money. Um, like uh, until like nineteen seventy. So like let's yeah yeah. So so like um, I get it, and but, I, like but I said, it's like possible narratively, that, like to her, it could have been framed as like, well, currently, uh, my wife Charity and I, this is a marriage of convenience right now, and we can't get out of it. Cool with fucking on the side. And also, sometimes people just. Think that it's cool. Right. I think mean, that it's all right. People are welcome parties. to make their own arrangements within their marriage. I'm not here to judge that. I just don't think, I think in this movie, the irritating thing to me is that 
he doesn't own up to anything. Which I think is like Barnum's thing. I think that's totally fair. And I think, again, I think narratively, like the way that this affair or almost affair pans out is good and uh, is a story we should embrace. I also want to come back to it later. I have a, I have a whole paradigm shift <laughs> that I need to discuss with you. And I, I want to hang on to this moment and touch back on it later. But I do just well, want to mention okay. that like Jenny Lind and P.T. Barnum like fully did have an affair. Unconfirmed. It's, uh, it's rumored. And, uh, you know, obviously no one owned right up to it. and was like, oh, yes, I did cheat on my wife. Thank you for putting it in the newspaper. But like <laughs> the reality is that while they were on tour, they were very likely having an affair. It's it's yeah, it's completely possible. But from here, she's like, oh, my God, I've been made a fool. She gets really vengeful and spiteful about and it. And she's like, I'm going to go right on ahead and just be done. We're going to end this. I don't give two shits at this. I went out of the tour. I'm not doing this for you. I did this for another reason. And you fully shot that in the foot. So I'm out. They're at the theater. She's singing Never Enough. She does this really broken rendition of it. And um, he comes out uh, as he does at the end of every show. Right. For like a bow and to accept flowers or give her flowers, whatever it is. Right. And then she pulls him in for a kiss. And they catch it on camera. And here's my thing. Is that I genuinely wonder if she was like, well, you've kind of ruined a lot of things for me. I'm going to ruin this for you. Absolutely. Fully. And she knew she was a wild success at this point. She knew there would be pictures of the curtain. She knew it would happen. They were literally snapping photos as he was walking out. Yeah, so she she knew exactly what she was up to. It was absolutely like a vengeful, spiteful move. Because she had to hurt him the way he hurt her. Yeah. Absolutely. Fine. He does a, he's genuinely done way worse than she has. <laughs> Just saying. So he's like, oh my God, what did you do? And she's like, that was goodbye. And just like fades into the ether. And, <laughs> and becomes never, the Phantom of the Opera. And just disappears. Never, <laughs> so he decides, well, I'm going to head back home. Nowhere else to go. Then we see that Carlisle is like talking to these guys who stayed after the show. And he's like, hey, you guys need to leave. They're the, they're the rowdy protesters. Yeah. That are like, oh, fuck these freaks. Get this them is out our of town. City. We this don't want you town. here. Burp, 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 burp. Um, and he's like, I'm not going to ask you again. And like WB comes out and is standing there and is like, is there a problem? Then he fully gets called a slur. So, so content warning here. Yeah, yeah. Quick trigger warning. We are about to use a word that is considered a slur. We just want to talk about it very briefly. And again, we're going to relate this back to all of the other racist moments that have happened up to this point. So they call WB a spook. It is considered a slur. I really would strongly encourage nobody to ever use it. The reason that this needs to be discussed and the reason we're touching on it now is because when the white people do racist things and behave racistly and no one calls it racism, that's no longer defensible because you've gone ahead and just used a full slur out loud in front of God and everyone. And didn't say, fuck you, you can't call people that or you can't, you're disgusting and you're vile or... Right, and like, we do brawl, I mean, we do brawl about it in a moment here, they, but the, the but point that's is... that's not where it stems from. The point is that you used the racist word at the expense of your black characters as opposed to, in these other moments, 
being able to use those those racist moments at the expense of your white characters. Exactly. That's the difference. And this was a misstep in the wrong direction. Do I think that it's important to these characters' stories and their arc and the time that we're set in? Yes, of course. And I think that the interracial love story kind of hangs on that. And we do need to have like visible, acknowledgeable racism in the movie. But it should have gone the other direction. It should have been at the expense of the white characters and the white narrative. Like, because what happens is this guy calls WB that. And then Carlisle is like, uh, that's enough. And then the guy turns and looks at Carlisle and said something like, didn't you hear me, boy? To Carlisle. Now, boy is one of those things that has been a very derogatory thing. Right. It's intentionally diminutive language. That has been used a lot towards black men. Particularly like the older a gentleman is, the more intentionally you call him boy. Because it's meant to be diminutive and it's meant to reinforce that like, I get to call you whatever I want and you're less... you can't do shit about it. And you're less of a man than I am. But he's not looking at WB when he says it. He's specifically looking at Carlisle when he says it. But WB is the one who throws the first punch. Well... Talk shit, get hit. Yes, but what I think could have made that moment in my personal book better is when WB got called a slur, Carlisle comes swinging. Carlisle should have swung first. it's not that violence solves things, but sometimes racists need to get punched in the face. Listen, I personally always condone punching racists, Nazis, transphobes, homophobes. You find a bigot... They're often just like... (laughs) They're usually the same same. person. If you find a bigot in public, you have my personal blessing to hit them. All just draped under a a white sheet. Yeah, yep, that's where they tuck all of it. (laughs) So, but that... Bigots don't deserve to feel comfortable in public. Feel free to make them uncomfortable in public. I don't condone violence. Don't actually hit anybody. Unless it's in self-defense, but like... Don't don't go but out if of your way. Was gonna punch <laughs> someone. Carlisle, it should have been Carlisle. Carlisle should have stood up for WB in that moment, in that way. If that was where this was gonna go, anyway, I because agree. It needed to elevate those. Like it needed to get to violence to end up where we end up. And again, the Pasek and Paul problem is always that the book suffers. Right. Clearly, they still needed someone because, like, we didn't helping need... with the book here because it's not all. It's not all right. No, because we didn't we didn't need WB coming to Carlisle's rescue because he was called boy. Now, because WB is a black man and he's like an adult adult, not right. like not like a teen or anything like No, he's, he's a full grown like, man. Yeah. I am sure that that was something that he was like, "Oh, absolutely fuck you." Because like yeah, you called me a slur, but now you're also adding this on to someone who might not understand what that means when you talk down to him that way. Right. Carlisle fully does. Carlisle gets it. Carlisle should have been the one. Uh, I'm repeating right. the same we're, thing. We're backtracking like, here, but but in this moment, I mean, easy fix. Here's how the scene should have gone. One of these rowdy dudes should have gone up to WB and called him boy and maybe like shoved his shoulder or like gotten some, gotten in some way physical with him in a way that wasn't like lethal or dangerous, and we could have skipped the slur, and then Carlisle would step in. That's how that scene should have gone. It just there's a there's a lot there. There's it a lot it there. didn't, and the and the reason is because there were probably not black people 
in the writer's room. Yeah. You need to work on your book skills, guys. Like, it's a really big hole. And we're going to move on from it now. We've already spent more time than I, I would really would have liked. But yeah. these moments need to be discussed, especially when you're handling a story where, like, an interracial love story is a pivotal subplot. You need black writers when you're writing that, that plot line. Start letting people tell their own stories. Let people tell their own stories. You won't have these problems. It's a really easy fix. And again, we're a couple of white queers from Wisconsin telling you this. So like, right. So please take all of our, all of our perspective on this with a grain of salt and know that it comes from a white perspective that is trying to elevate black voices and what we've been told through black advocacy. But, but again, just again, yeah. know that it comes from, from white people. And if you really want advice on this, you should be going to black sources and we, we will always try to platform those sources when we can. So anyway, during this brawl, so there's a brawl, then Freaking, oh, my favorite part in, like, almost the whole movie. Um, Letty... She busts open a set of double doors. ...charge <laughs> and just comes at them like a full-ass linebacker. Oh, yeah, like a, like, like literally a speeding like, train. Like, her... Because, like, she... And she's got her whole she's, she's got her a, whole skirt in one hand. And it's not because she's... Because some people, when, when people talk about, like, big women physically looking like linebackers... They think it's a size. No, Mama fully like puts her arms out and like broadens herself. <laughs> She's ready for war. And picks someone up and tosses them in the dirt. And they're going. I mean, the whole crew is like everyone's got their specialty. They're all brawling. They're duking it out. The, literally, you see like cool acrobatic things. You see people like like the the dog man like wraps his legs around someone's neck and like fully flips them over. He's quite agile. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, and we saw, saw that earlier when he like jumped up on the desk. <laughs> yeah. So we're using our circus skills. It's really good. One of the one of the rowdy protester fellows picks up a an oil lamp and throws it at the wall. Which by the way, guys, everything is like dry wood and hay. Right. In a building. I mean, everything's like taxidermied animals and wax figures. So like, and like everything in this building is flammable. So this building said burn baby burn. It's coming down and it's coming down fast. Exactly. Barnum like arrives back in town, sees his family, hugs, kisses. All of a sudden. They have a cute moment. Fire truck goes like hauling ass down the street and then there's like a fireman running after that was like the circus is on fire. Shortly followed by Barnum who also hauls ass. <laughs> Barnum is sprinting and they get there. There's a whole crowd. He sees some of the people and then all of a sudden Carlisle's like turn around. Is everybody out? Is everybody out? And then everyone's like, where's Anne? And he's like, well, fuck if I know. And he just bolts just into, takes the off into the flaming building. And then Barnum is there and is like, what the fuck? And then WB is like, uh, I'm going in because that's my fucking sister. And like Barnum and like one of the firemen stop him because they couldn't stop Carlisle. He was already in, in the he building. He took off. And then Anne comes around the corner. Scorched, smudged, and, gasping and for she's breath. Like, she's like, I made it out. I made it out. And like runs into her brother's arms and he's like, oh my God, thank God you're, you're safe. And then all of a sudden they're like, Carlisle's Carlisle, still in the building. Carlisle is in the building. Looking for looking you. Looking for you when you are outside of the building. And that man is not leaving that building without you. Nope. Barnum does this thing where he turns and he looks at his family and doesn't say, looks at each individual face, doesn't say anything and bolts into the building. It occurs to me just now that this is probably the first genuinely selfless thing 
that he's maybe ever done. Really wow. pivotal, pivotal character moment. So he runs in and he grabs Carlisle. There is a line in here where they very specifically say out loud that all the animals made it out safe. We had to have, it's very important that we include that line, PETA would have had a fucking field day. I know they're CGI, but the circus has such a history with like animal abuse organizations and like animal rights activists. That line, I mean, this movie could not have been released in the year 2017 without that line that like very clearly no animals died. Despite the fact that historically speaking, they all died. died. (laughs) After Barnum goes in, this ceiling fully like caves in and crashes to the ground miraculously he comes like out of the building holding Carlisle like a wee babe. I had a really vicious thought while I watched this this time. And I think it's because I watched it specifically through this lens for this podcast with like my, my analytical glasses on. He runs into the, into the building, the ceiling collapses. And then I wrote down and then Barnum died because I was so full of just like anger and rage that he, put all of the people in his life through all of this for some fake dream that he was hoping to achieve. He had such a good life with a wife that he loved and an act that he could be proud of. He made a home for people who needed one, whether that was his intention or not. Like That's what was the product of right, it. That's what happened. And he had all these things to be proud of and he was doing good things and he like, he brought life and excitement to this upper crust fellow who was drinking himself into a stupor every night. Like he, he had so much going for him. And then he just like, just like shut it all out of a cannon for, for what? For what? Money. I was so irritated with him. Status. And then he ran into the fire and I was so full of anger that I was like, and then he just died. And that's where the movie ends for me. He just becomes a martyr and the circus lives on in his memory. R.I.P. P.T. Barnum. Roll credits. <laughs> Not quite. We still have a chunk to go. So <laughs> no, he, he rescues He rescues uh, Carlisle. Carlisle. And the the paramedics have this moment where they pick up Carlisle to put him on the, on the stretcher on this gurney, which is indeed like just fabric between two sticks that is like fully just like flesh with the ground. Yep. And they pick up his body and just like thump him a foot to the right onto the gurney. Like there's a whole cloud of dust that comes out from underneath him and everything. I was like his, his pitiful quaking scorched body. And they just like plump him down next to him. And I was like, guys, could we get some fucking care here? No, he's taken off to a hospital. Barnum is alive. uh, Despite Drake's, best efforts in his mind (laughs) and we just watch this building crumble we see at the end like these two elephants that are like nuzzling each other holding each other holding each other in grief elephants fully do grieve and elephants are very very intelligent um they have religions they do they like they worship the moon they worship the moon (laughs) and they like want to bury their dead they have funeral procedures yeah i mean elephants are really smart that most people like that's when a lot of uh, anthropologists are like, ah, this is what people call like the human spark. This is when like when we started burying our dead and having like things like that done. Right. Like the, the mark of humanity is caring for others in your like group, even when it has negative consequences for that group. Mm-hmm. Like when we can see historical evidence of like people dying of old age but like with broken limbs or broken bones right because they were no longer useful to the group but, but we kept them caring. alive right yeah. there, there was some kind of care for the, yeah that's like the human human the human spark yeah 
Um, there's a whole documentary on it, probably more than one, but I think there's one specifically called The Human Spark. The funny thing is that this whole thing reminded me of was I was like, oh, I wonder if those uh, elephants are fully knowing who the people are that set this place on fire. And are they going to go trample them? Like that one elephant? Oh, did? like that viral video, the, the oh, TikTok? Oh, yes. Where that elephant was like, I'm going to trample your ass and then I'm going to come to your funeral and I'm going to trample your ass again. Do you want to hear something that's going to ruin your day about that video? What? Um, so it's been debunked. That's It's not an elephant at a funeral. Rude. The story just went viral and everyone went along with it. And it's a good story. Don't get me wrong. And it doesn't, I don't think anybody was harmed in the telling of that story, whether it be conspiratorial or false or whatever. So like, take if, if you need to hold on to that story and, and believe that elephants are vengeful and, and got their comeuppance, that's fine. I do. It's a video of a bull breaking into a church from like 2014 or something. Like the animal in that video is not even an elephant. It's a bull. It's, it's an elephant and it came and it marked that lady again. And she deserved it. She did because she took her baby from this elephant and that elephant said, fuck you twice. Good for her. This is what we call a parable. <laughs> and it can exist as a parable and that's fine. Yeah. Just so long as we also like take a minute to acknowledge that like that was false information. It's a parable, Drake. It is now. It's a parable. Fuck it up. The parable of the elephant and the lady who got fucked twice. <laughs> That's what they call it. Exactly. So Barnum and his homies. The gang, the posse, the, gang, the squad. The circus homies are like kind of sifting through this building that has now burned to the ground. It's the next day. And the critic shows up. Oh, yes. Brushes and... off a little seat for himself on the, the yeah. ashen steps of the museum and he was like you know barnum i never liked your show and barnum's like yeah like did you come to kick me while i'm down right like, like hi the whole building is ash behind and me. i definitely could have died last night trying to save somebody's life so do you want to get to your point point?" <laughs> and the critic said i never liked your show barnum but i always thought people did which is kind of like what i talked about in the beginning like a lot of times it doesn't matter what the critic is saying it matters how the people feel about it right and he said most wouldn't call it art but if you look at what you did and not necessarily how you did it the fact that you had people of all different sizes and backgrounds and races and genders and all like you he did, said he said a lot and you he, did something for people who were different and he said some would some would have called it a celebration of humanity that matters Barnum's like, oh, wow, I, I like that spin on it. And I'm like, don't fucking say spin on it, it's you not piece a spin. of shit. That's literally what it is if you treated it that way. And the critic's like, I hope you rebuild. I hope this is good. And also, I'm sorry. And like plops the newspaper down in his hands. And it's a picture of Barnum and Jenny Lind making out on the front right. of the newspaper. The affair is front page. So Barnum hauls ass home and Charity is leaving. Yeah, he gets through the door and she's already halfway down the front staircase with all her bags. And she's like, I'm done.com. And he was like, no, this was fake. We were never in love. And she's like, no, I don't believe that you were ever in love because you didn't love her and you didn't love me. All you loved is yourself and the show. She's not even leaving because of what's in the newspaper. She's leaving because they got evicted from that home because of what happened with Jenny Lynn 
and the mortgage and all the money that they took out against their home. She's like, the bank is evicting us. Right. And she's yeah, like, yeah, he, I mean, he mortgaged his home to, to, to fund that tour. Yeah. And, and she, it's over now. Yeah. And she said, Charity said, you didn't even ask. She didn't, she doesn't even bring up the money. She literally says the bank evicted us. And then she stops and she said, you didn't even ask. She, I, I don't have, even think she finishes uh, through, the whole sentence. Cause it's really like, through all of, through all of this. I have gone with you. If you asked, I would have said yes. It's, I mean, it's really good writing in this moment because she doesn't finish either of the thoughts. I think she says, you never even, and then she like stops and scrunches up her face and she says, I would have said yes. And then she leaves. Yeah. It just, it's, it's brilliant and it's great. And it just. I'm absolutely team charity. I all the way, all the way. I mean, girl, fully. So Barnum goes and is at the same bar that he met Carlisle at originally, and he is drinking because what else can he do at this point, I guess? And the homies from the circus show up and they say to him, you know, Barnum, you, cause he's like, well, I don't, I, I have no money. I can't, your paychecks aren't happening. I can't pay you. They're like, no, you're missing the point. Right. It's not about that for us. You didn't mean for this to happen, but we've built a family and we built a home and we want our home back. So go figure it out. So do the thing. You could genuinely take any singular act from this, from this museum and do a full costume study on one character. Oh my God. I just, there's so much to look at. You could literally go frame by frame. I mean, truly like from their performance outfits to like the outfits they wear behind, behind the curtain, like backstage at the museum to the outfits they're in now, like their street clothes that they wear here to the bar. I mean, they're all so thoughtful and there's so much like history and culture and you know, the history of the, uh, these are real sideshow acts that existed. So like to be able to examine the history of them and all the references are there. I mean, it's, it's really, really well done, very clearly researched and they're so complete. I mean, some of these characters never speak out loud and you still get like a full complete history of a character. It's so well done. And, and there, there are characters here in the bar whom we have never met. Casual, <laughs> casual. There's like one dude with like horns. I have, we've never seen him, not in any of the group numbers, not, not at all until now. Um, there's a guy with like some sort of like facial deformity, like some sort of like birthmark type vibe going on down his face. I don't know who he is or where he came from. They're here now though. So I guess the more the merrier. And we get a song that just really gets gets me in my from now on in my ticker it's from now on from now on moves me to tears every time it's so good it's so good um the court choreo holy fuck you know and just like the beginning bit of like barnum singing i don't need to hear but like all the like choral stuff that happens and all the all of that it's just so stunning and it's just so powerful and they're like no, literally, fuck all of this. You know, the money, the whatever. We're family. We need a home. And we're going to come back home together. And we get a, it's a third act group number. Yeah. I mean, I, this really, this checks a lot of boxes for me. I wish we could get more of it more often. And I hope it's something we see more of because like, this is it. Yeah. This number delivers 
fully. And also in this number, we get Carlisle waking up in the hospital. Because this whole time, he's been out. Oh, yeah, we get the we get the more plot splice. Yes. And this one's really effective. Like, this is a very it, good use of... It fully is. And then uh, we see that Anne is there holding his hand, and he's like, oh, you're here. And she just kisses him real good. And is like crying and it's beautiful. 10 out of 10. It. I just, oh, my whole heart. And, and like in that move, cause like we really build up to this really awesome thing. And then it like, you know, lowers and there's no lyrics happening. And then we get that moment in the hospital with them. And then when we shift back, the song's not quite done yet. We get the trio. Oh my God. The trio that this song ends on. I could have had this trio sing this whole frickin' song. They're so good. And again, that's the power of Broadway, baby. Just stunning. Hire Broadway actors for your movie musical. <laughs> Barnum knows what he has to do. and Because he, he sees a picture of him and his kids and his wife. And he needs to go and get them back. And he needs to apologize. And he needs to figure this out. He ends up at Charity's parents' house. And the venomous dad is like she's not here and then the kids come barreling down the down the staircase she's She's at the the beach beach. yeah fuck you grandpa that we just met listen michelle williams on the beach with a scarf in the wind is my new religion at sunset (laughs) i just i truly it's such a it's such a cinematic shot so the drama the the drama um (laughs) And in this moment, from now on, and when he comes and he's talking to Charity about what's going on, Mm -hmm. because he has finally realized the lesson that she was always trying to tell him. Yeah. Charity grew up with money. She had everything she could ever want, but she had an awful abusive dad, not a good home life. There's no love in that home. Just money. And then Barnum, the way that he grew up, he was like, ah, all of my problems would have been solved if we just had money. Right. Barnum goes through life trying to get the money, and he does, and he gets the money, the success, and everything, but never, it's it's literally never enough for him because he thinks that there's always more because he isn't feeling the way he thought he would feel on the other side of poverty. Charity was always happy with him and just him. Right, like I said, they had they had such a beautiful life together. Because of the love and the times that they shared together. And she was like, yeah, we didn't have a lot of money, but we also, we had food on the table. We had a roof over our head. We had each other. And we had each other. And it was so great. And you got, you were there with your kids and you're not watching your kids grow up anymore. And he comes to charity and he's like, I get it now. I understand now. I literally, there's been a change in my heart and I, I'm not going to be the same person anymore. And she kind of sees in him like, this is the man that I fell in love with. This is who I signed up to be with the rest of my life. Welcome back. They kiss. It's a great time. I do think that the the lyrics that they exchange with each other, they're like embracing and crying and they both sing like a line back to each other that are like... From the two call, different songs. Right, callbacks from earlier songs. I understand what it's meant to do. I don't like it. 
Well, boo on you. I just I had I this just, beautiful, poignant thing that I just said. The scene poof, and the meaning behind it. it is, it just, <laughs> the the callback of it feels, I don't know, cheesy to me. It just didn't land with me. I don't know why. Oh, I love the cheese. I love the cheese. Give me all the cheese. I'm a <laughs> you can have, gal. You can have my helping. Give me, give me your cheese. They end up back at the circus. Philip walks up to Barnum because Barnum has been trying to get a loan. That's what's been going on. Right, in the but no bank will loan any money nah, to him, not like, even a little. He's like, I don't think that there's anywhere in this country that I could go and talk to somebody into giving me money, which for him to say that is something. It's a big statement. <laughs> and then Carlisle is like, you know, before I met you, I had money, status, this, that, the other thing. I also was super fucking sad. And, and you, you took all of that from me and all you gave me was fun, love, and work that I adore. And he was like, I'll bet on you again, Barnum. I'm your partner. I had 10% in this. And because I knew who I was working with, I went ahead and took my 10% weekly. And I put it somewhere else. And you didn't know any of this. <laughs> and Barnum's like, oh my God. He's like, all right, I'll do it. So long as we're partners 50-50. He's like, great. Awesome. Yes. And everybody's excited. He's like, but we do not have enough money for a building, so I don't know what's going to happen with that. And then Barnum says something about, like, a oh, real estate in Manhattan, that's not worth anything, which is very funny to me because real estate in Manhattan now. My, how the turntables. <laughs> but he said he was like, we can get vacant land down by the docks for dirt, dirt cheap, and all we need is a tent. Okay, are you ready for my... Great epiphany. Uh, do you, do you, I'm, I mean, I'm not done with everything, but do you want, should we finish the plot and then you tell your epiphany? No, no, it goes that? here. Oh, okay. Insert it. Insert it. So we flash back to the greatest show. Right. And We're we back see. in the circus tent where we started the show. And it's a spectacle and it's stunning and this, that, and the other thing. And we've snapped back to Barnum's perspective and he's like talking at us. And I realize quite suddenly... I, like, freaked out about it. This musical is a memory play. This whole narrative is P.T. Barnum's life from the perspective of P.T. Barnum, from, like, from his mouth. Whew. That's why he gets so much sympathetic coloring this entire time. That's why the affair with Jenny Lind plays out the way that it does, because he doesn't want to make a villain of her. It's why he always pans out to be the good guy, even when he's not doing the good thing. This is a memory play! What? Blew my whole, blew my whole fucking mind. Which is why the song bookends the whole thing. Absolutely. How fucking crazy! Like literally, literally, the world around me shifted. The war, the the art on my walls changed places. Everything is brand new to me now. It was a quantum leap. Oh my god! It was so crazy. Achievement I was like, unlocked. No wonder, and 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 that helps me personally, like really rectify a lot of the problems narratively with like how particularly P.T. Barnum is portrayed. Because when in our stories, we always make ourselves the hero. No one's the villain of their own story. So to hear this story from his perspective, of course, this is how it plays out. It's from his perspective. He thinks he's been doing the right thing all along. And like, oh my God, oh my God. It just reframed the whole thing for me. And I've spent this whole 
this whole podcast ragging on this movie and how they portray him. And it was like a huge critique that everybody had of the film was like the way he was portrayed and the, and the good light that he is put in the candy coating that he is given, but it's a memory play. You guys, nothing's candy coated. This is just how he perceived the world around him. That's fucking bonkers. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. All right. All right. We're back all in. Right, all right. Let's <laughs> so now we're back in. This again. is this is now, in my opinion, yeah. real life. Like the either end of this story. Like because there's still stuff that happens after this song now, which I I think you're right where it picks up right where it left off, and I think because that moment in the very beginning where he like stops, everything gets really silent, everything blacks like does like a blackout fade is him remembering all of the shit that he went through. Right. I mean, you even call it like a, you called it a dream transition. Yeah. That's what it is. He's remembering things. (laughs) And that's, I think that's also why we clip along plot points so quickly. And we, because there's, there it's his memory he doesn't need a lot of you know whatever right and i think that it's it's the moments where he's not in it that's why some of those moments can take longer like rewrite the stars exactly because that isn't his portion of his memory that is like the actual story happening or like i know that i'm to see another bit of the world you are i'm freaking out. out i know that i'm yelling about it but like when you add the layer of a memory play onto this narrative it changes everything like all of the narrative decisions are suddenly reframed in a new way it's uh, oh a whole new world (laughs) Um, that's crazy but in this moment so we i mean full spectacle we see animals balancing on pedestals and things like that and we see all sorts of different acts happening all at the same time the sideshow ensemble is is much larger now much larger because they've gained even more people um, it's in the classic circus tent. There's a lot happening, but that moment when the hat gets handed back to him. Cause yeah, because there's like a the yeah. Pete Barnum hands off his hat to the to the performers, and they do. I think it's kind of silly. They do a sort of like passing of the hat sequence where like every act has a hand on the hat at some point. But can I tell you something right now that I just was thinking of? Um, isn't it when he starts the dream sequence thing after he takes the hat off in the beginning of the film? Oh, maybe. So like that of the passing of all of that, the passing of time, we don't see him because he's having a whole fucking moment to himself, which is literally the rest of the movie. Oh my God. Well, see now I I literally have, I literally, I have no qualms. Everything that I've said in the past, like just so everybody knows we've been recording for two hours and 47 minutes. Um, everything, <laughs> God, fuck. everything I've said in the past two hours and 47 minutes, every problem I've had with the story narratively is now gone, including my distaste, I guess, for this hat sequence, because you've just made it made Boom, sense bam. to me. Look at me go. So from, as soon as he gets the hat back, he has the realization this isn't his show anymore and he needs to hand it down. That's when he hands Carlisle the hat. You're right. Carlisle jumps in the ring and... Barnum is like, I'm going to go watch my girls grow up. Toodles. Because again, like about the age that they're at is also when his dad died. His dad didn't get to see him grow up and didn't get to be there. This is a way of him being there for a kid in his life. Being the person that he needed when he was a kid. Right. He gets to be the the father he never had, essentially. Carlisle pops in. I do think Zac Efron looks a little odd in that hat. That's all I'm going (laughs) to say about that. 
Barnum rides an elephant to the theater. Yeah, uh, question, Phineas. Who parked that elephant after you got off of it? Maybe Hmm? the elephant is trained uh, to walk back down the street. He fucking better be, because there is snow on the ground. Because truth be told, elephants have excellent memories and maps and all of that stuff. But literally, like, you're just going to leave this elephant in the snow while you go in and watch a ballet, but fine. I don't think you thought this plan all the way through. Does he think anything through? No, it's all about the showmanship. He arrived on an elephant, that was the point. (laughs) Exactly. So they go inside, the kids literally are like, nah, dad didn't change fuck our lives. He's not going to show up. And then he does. And they're super jazzed. Him and his wife go sit down and they watch their eldest dance. The thing that I like about this is that the greatest showman, like the song is the orchestration that she's dancing to. But we change the medium of like what the sound, what it sounds like, but it's still the same melody underneath. It's a very clever orchestration. Yes. Very clever. Also at one point, the other daughter is in a tree. Like, she's in a tree costume waving twigs. She's the only one in the tree. And I gotta tell you, (laughs) that's because dad was like, hey, if I give you some money, can this kid just be a tree? Please. Thoughts? Listen, we said she was on her way to the top, and I think she got there, frankly. She got there. (laughs) She's hamming it up. She seems pleased. Exactly. And then we have Philip and Anne... Carlisle, we've been calling him this whole time. Carlisle and Anne, like, fully making out in front of the crowd. They're out and living their best life about it. And then we go back to Barnum. And then he sings, like, the last few lines of the song and wraps it all up. And, like, this is actually all that you ever needed. It's everything you ever want. It's everything you ever need here right in front of you. Blackout Lion King. We told you it'd be worth it. Oh my god, we made it. Wasn't that worth it? Christ on a cracker. (laughs) Absolutely. Did you guys like it? Mine. Did I change your whole life? Equals. Blown. Oh my god. Uh, oh, oh my oh. god. Well, oh my god. we have to rate it. You guys. We have to rate it. Christ and a half. What do you give it, Bins? Um, what do I give it? What do I give it? What do I give it? You know, since the new perspective of the dream thing. <laughs> yeah, here's the thing. Post post memory play, three. Right? Shaky three. Okay, but maybe a four. Me- but memory Memory but play? A five. 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 <laughs> it's a five, baby. Because that's that, those are really the big faults that I have with it. Are, right, I mean, really, that's are like the, what, the, we, what we both had with it. Right, the candy-coated treatment that we give P.T. Barnum. And the and the repercussions that that has, right? Because he oh, thought he was... maybe 4.5 because of the issues with racism stuff. Oh, that's true, and that's... 4.5. 4.5 it is. I, I, that's a absolutely fair point, and we have to hold that accountable. Yes, we do. 4.5. But it's still pretty good. That's still really I mean, good. I'm going to give it a four and a half. That's out of... 4.5, 4.5. And if anybody needs my dissertation on why this is a memory play, I'm happy to... I'm not submitting it. But I could. No, I we'll have just, the evidence. We'll go on We'll go on live. We'll go on live and do it. And you can yeah. just scream into the ether. 
I mean, it really shook me. I just, I know it did. I watched your eyeballs. I know. I mean, you guys couldn't see me, but like, I was like, I couldn't get my hands to settle down. I was having like a, like a, some kind of panic attack. It's crazy. A bout of hysteria, some doctors in 1880 would have said. Maybe I should do some heroin about it. Maybe. Maybe I should do some heroin and take a long summer at a, at a beach cabin. Listen, I Why don't we go... treat diseases like that anymore? We should. Um, no. Yeah. You know, I've had a, I've had a really tough breakup. I think I'm actually just going to go to Door County and be high for three months. Yeah, but not on heroin. Well, no, but we have, we have nicer things now. Yeah. It's modern. It's the modern age. (laughs) (laughs) What what about the biddy test? The BD, the Benny Drake. Pass or fail? Pass. Pass. Absolutely, 1,000%. Thank you for coming. So my only, like, major vocal gripe with it is occasionally I don't love Hugh Jackman's timbre. Yeah. Here's my issue with Hugh Jackman's voice. I think that Hugh Jackman has gone the way of many popular divas, and I think we see it a lot more often with women's voices, but I also think that's because we're harsher on women as they age. Mm-hmm. I think... I think Hugh Jackman was one of those young stars who made a name for himself as a live vocalist because he was well-trained but had a timbre that was unique enough to be recognizable. Like many other stars of the time, Patti Lapone, people of that caliber, as they age, they tend to lean into the timbre and the thing that makes them unique because in a marketing sense, it's what's made them successful. Right. So it's the thing you hold on to the tightest as you start to kind of lose the training and lose ground as you age. So I think, unfortunately, what that means is that Hugh Jackman has a very specific voice, and it means that he's not a very versatile vocalist. It means that he fits in a very narrow gap of of characters and voices. So it's not necessarily that he can't sing. I think Hugh Jackman can sing. I think he sings very well. He's got a Tony Award. I think he does well. It just means that he doesn't always have the versatility and the capability to do everything within a role or to do every role. So that's my one major gripe. However, I do think it works here, and I absolutely think it passes. We've got some really killer vocals. There's running, there's riffing. The background vocals in this were done by like an insane group of Broadway performers, Natalie Weiss being one of my favorites in the mix. She does a lot of Pask and Paul work as far as, like, sweetener vocals. So, like, it can't be beat. Like, this soundtrack absolutely brings the house down. Which is why they made two. Yeah. Which is why you had to have one and then another one where everybody gave their spin on it. Because it's just good music. So, I think it's absolutely pass. 4.5 and a pass. How about a treat? Listen, they waited a whole freaking week. <laughs> Everyone to get was so that patient. Mind blowing information. I believe they deserve a good old schnackum. So, our fortune cookie today is an African proverb, and it goes like this If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And it just underlines for me everything that Barnum thought he did from his perspective. And in fact, the consequences of what he created, regardless of his intentions, what he created was something that lasted and stood the test of time and changed people's lives. Again, whether that was his intention or not. And he only really failed himself 
when he decided to strike out on his own. That was when he went the farthest. It was when he got to the highest point. It's also when he fell the furthest. But it was because he went alone. But the thing that he made that lasted that went the furthest was the thing that they made together. Community is so important. Community will heal everything, baby. Except that venomous father of charities. I hope he has no community, frankly. He can go as far as he, he wants does. alone. I don't think he does, because I, I think mean, he how went could he? Far. The only community he has are the people who he pays to be in community with him in his home. Yeah, and mama, that ain't true community. What a mess. Oh my god, that's the end of The Greatest Showman. The Greatest Showman. We're, we're really overtired right now. Holy shit. I oh tell my you god. Guys. This is, I think, probably the longest recording this session is... we've ever had. And that's including the the showdown that we did. And the Phantom episode. And Hello Dolly, even though we split that into a two-banger. Oh my god, what a long one. But I feel Crap like... Crap and a half. I felt this when I was taking notes, too. I just had, like, a lot of thoughts on this one. I don't know if just it was because... Tons. And I think also, like... Because we lived it? I don't know. Because we have a firmer grasp on the zeitgeist, like, the, of what's going on in the world and, our, like, our perspective on everything, because it happened to us. I don't know. What happened to us? This musical happened, like, during our, not only our lifetime, but, like, our adulthood. My God, I was like, what are you talking about? I... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's 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 put a cap on it, babe. Where can they find you? Find you want to, just real quick, a little, a little fun extra thing? Oh, she's holding thing. my hand I'm now. I'm holding your hand. So we did this whole thing about circus. Yeah. And this weekend, we're going to be in a wedding of our bestest friend that we went to the run fair for. At the circus. At the circus. <gasps> wow. The world is so resonant. Oh my god. Your hair looks fucking crazy. It's because I'm tired and I was <laughs> fucking with it. And then on top of that, I have to shut the AC off in my apartment in order to record. You've just been slowly frizzing out <laughs> for three hours. Yeah. Benny, where can they find us? Everywhere. <laughs> in the stars. In, in your dreams. In your hopes and prayers, hopefully. <laughs> um, you can find us on Twitter at... <laughs> <laughs> no, quick, where can they find us? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter at Backstage B- BDs. That's Backstage B for Biddy, D for Drake, S. Instagram at Backstage Biddies or email us at Backstage Biddies at gmail.com. And where can they find you? They can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Benny Biddy and on Twitter at Benny Ann No E. Where can they find you? You can find me at Drake underscore Leverance. That's Drake underscore L E W E R E N Z is in zebra. Drake underscore Leverance on Twitter and TikTok. Join us again next Monday when we bring you another rousing round of musical theater nonsense. Hot Pam slapping him. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Because truth be told, um, memories, memories? Nope. Elephants have excellent memories and maps and all of that stuff. I have heard that memories have excellent elephants as well. You know, thank you. Is that also a parable? (laughs) So... (laughs)